Lord, thank you for just this great time of worship. God, we want to draw close to you, and will you draw close to us as we do that, Lord? As we cry out to you and worship you, God, we, we do say, give me Jesus, Lord. We give you a thousand hallelujahs, Lord. We, we continue to just speak of your praise and just thank you so much for the power, God, that you give us in this life to live, the strength, Lord, and ability. And so tonight, God, I pray that you be with us in the word. And God, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying tonight, Lord. Give us a mind to understand the passage, Lord, that we may receive it in our heart and apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, bless your word. Anoint it with your spirit. And as you know, God, we, we're here, God. Lord, we're connected online. We've made the effort to, to do this on a Wednesday night because we love you, because we need you, because we seek you tonight, God. So thank you so much. Bless this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I came to be saved in Jesus Christ in 1976. I was 14 years old. My friend brought me to church the third time, and that's when I accepted Christ and gave my life to him. Now, when I became saved, it was at that moment that I became a fruit of a great harvest of souls that was going on. A revival had been in full force since the late 60s called the Jesus Movement through, the Cal- through Calvary Chapel, and that's where I got saved, and led by Pastor Chuck. I was thinking about this. Pastor Chuck said he was just a spectator, he wrote, in this mighty work of God. And it was a mighty work. I was part of thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands who came to Jesus Christ and And many are even pastors today of Calvary chapels. Before this, the story, you can read it in the Harvest book, uh, with a burden to see the lost hippies of that time saved, Pastor Chuck and his wife, Kay, they began to pray. And if you read that book, you read about how Kay organized like late night prayer groups, uh, morning prayer groups. Pastor Chuck prayed with the church leaders and regularly, and even other members came together to pray. So you can imagine, much prayer went up, so much that Pastor Chuck writes, they saturated the air with prayers. I love that thought. And with that groundwork done in prayer, he says, Before long, we felt a quiet change in the air, an excitement just beneath the surface. Isn't that cool? It was then the dam broke, the water flowed, uh, souls were saved, and there was a full-on like move of the Spirit, a revival that was going on. I love to think about that. I was part of that. I was part of that at the end of the movement. And I know how the Spirit can move in that way. You know, in the history of spiritual awakenings, prayer precedes revival. A late 1800s pastor, A.T. Pearson, once said, There's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin, begin in united prayer. It's prayer. That made a difference. It's prayer that moved the hearts. 
Today, as we return to our study in the book of Acts, we find right before the Holy Spirit's baptism in chapter 2, we find prayer. Prayer is the groundwork to God's work. And that's the title of our message tonight, the groundwork to God's work. And it's going to be mainly about prayer here. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 1 from verse 12 through 14. 12 through 14 tonight, and our outline is this. I kind of played with it. So it's number one, go back. Number two, go wait. And number three, go pray. So go back, go wait, go pray. (laughs) So the groundwork to God's work. It begins number one in our outline, go back, go back. And here we're going to be looking at verse 12 in this section. So let's start with that. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. We'll stop there now. We begin with Luke writing how they, and that's the disciples, had returned to Jerusalem. Now, If you remember, this is what Jesus had been instructing the disciples before he ascended. Remember back back in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, that they were to stay there. You remember at the end of Luke, what we study right before this book, in Luke 24, 49, he told them, stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem. And why was that? Well, verse 4 tells us to wait for the promise of the Father which is what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to be studying in chapter 2. So the disciples are to stay put until the power of the Spirit comes. And we talked much about that in the last two studies, haven't we? Now, why Jerusalem? Why they return there? Well, I believe it's because that's where God wants to start sharing the message of Jesus Christ. That, that's what they're sent for. That's where they're going to begin. Right there in the central place of Jewish worship, right where the house of God, the temple is. Look up at verse 8. If you look at Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? Where's the first place we studied? Jerusalem. So that's where they are to wait. That's where they are to go back to Jerusalem there for the power to come. Well, in verse 12, where did they return from? They returned to Jerusalem from where? Well, it says here in verse 12, from the mount called Olivet, otherwise known as we say the Mount of Olives. It's really a hill. It's about 400 feet high east of Jerusalem and uh, where the temple sits. And, And that's, if you remember, we studied that's where Jesus ascended. So after he ascended, they made their way to Jerusalem into the city. Now, Luke writes in verse 12 that it was a Sabbath day journey away. That's the time, or, or we could say the distance, it took the disciples to get from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. And a Sabbath day journey is 2,000 cubits. An ancient measurement, which is calculates uh, uh, to little over half a mile. So that's the distance from the Mount of Olives, half a mile, to Jerusalem. Now, this was called the Sabbath's 
day's journey because that was the maximum distance one could travel on the Sabbath with it be, with it, uh, without it becoming work, which, remember, you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath because it's a day of rest. I was reading, it's interesting, this came about when Israel, when they were wandering in the desert, they would set up their camp around their tents around the tabernacle. And the farthest tent of the different tribes was a Sabbath day journey. So they can go to the tabernacle to worship on the Sabbath legally there. So this is what the disciples did. They did what Jesus asked them to do. And here's the idea. They submitted and obeyed to what? Jesus had instructed them to do. The other day, I was hanging a a, a, a picture, and um, it was um, it, uh, I was securing it. I, I put in a hook in the wall. And we were hanging some pictures over our bed, and I secured it with these um, kind of Velcro type um, uh, attachments um, made by the the guys who make the command hooks. You guys ever use that? I mean, they're, they're awesome technology today, right? They stick on the wall, and you can put your hook there, and they hang on the wall, and then when you want to take it off, you just pull the little strip, and it comes off, generally. Um, during Christmas, I, I use those a lot, because we hang stuff, you know, all around. Uh, the instructions tell you, right, to wipe it with alcohol, push push it on for, you know, 30 seconds and then let it sit there. I forget, for like 10, 15 minutes or something like that. And then you can hang your thing. But sometimes I just take the shortcut and hang the, hang the thing anyway. But what happens? I wake up in the next morning, the lights from the Christmas light have fallen down because I didn't follow the instructions. <laughs> and I got to go back and rehang it, go back, follow instructions, and make it work right. Here's the disciples. They have to go back to Jerusalem. Where they started, really. Where they were. Remember when Jesus appeared to them. They are to go back and go through this preparation of prayer for the Holy Spirit to come. So here's what I want you to see. So in submission to their Lord Jesus, the disciples made the effort to go back to Jerusalem as instructed. And this is important. Their submission, their obedience, disciples made the effort to go back to Jerusalem as instructed. Andrew Murray once wrote, what is obedience? Giving up my will to the will of another. I like that. We are to give up our will to God. We are to give up what we want to what God would like. That is really obedience. Sometimes we, sometimes we take God's instructions as a choice, but not a command. How about, as we get into this passage, how about prayer? We're heading into a place here in this passage where we're going to talk about prayer. But how do we take that command when God calls us to pray do we just make it a choice? Well, maybe I will, maybe I don't. But God calls us to pray. Will we take the instruction of the Lord and submit to the call of God? 
perhaps even get back to our Jerusalem, get back to that place of prayer, get back to that that time of prayer, get back to church and pray. You know, it's not really too far of distance. It's just a choice that we make to submit and obey the command of God to pray, to, to come church here, to gather to pray. God is calling us to do that. And I'm inspired by the disciples how they made that effort to go back to Jerusalem as instructed. So the groundwork to God's work, it really begins here, to go back in obedience, to go back and submit to what Jesus instructed them to do. Well, let's go to number two now. Go wait. Go wait. Now this is verse 13. It says here, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now, when they got to Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room. They went to like the second floor of this house. It's like this um, big living room, like really big living room. This was also where they were staying. They were, this was like their home base. And some even think, well, maybe it could have been the home of Mary, Mark's mother from Acts 12, 12, when they were meeting in there. Most likely, this is the same upper room that Jesus, you remember, had the last supper, the, past, the last Passover meal where he turned it into communion. Most likely, this was the same upper room where Jesus appeared to them after the resurrection, and he taught them and spoke to them. So it was here in the upper room that they waited for there for the Spirit. I remember on um, our trips to Israel, we would go to the traditional site of the upper room in Jerusalem. And I had a, remember one time I had a privilege of actually teaching there and in there and about the, the Last Supper and everything. But... Just to go there and be in there, it's amazing to think that not only it could have happened in that room, um, this traditional one, but just to think about being there. But this is where, you know what I think about? is This is where the disciples stationed themselves. They stationed themselves in obedience in the upper room. Now, present there in the upper room, Luke writes here in verse 13 was Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now Judas, this isn't, don't be confused, this isn't isn't Judas Iscariot, this is a, a, a different Judas, sometimes called Thaddeus. Uh, Judas Iscariot is out of the picture, and we'll get into more of that next time. But I like this list because we see Peter. We see Peter, the guy who denied Jesus. He's there. John and his brother James wanted to call down right thunder and fire from uh, on the Samaritans. 
We see Andrew and Philip. Philip going, I don't know. Can we really feed, you know, the 5,000? We see Thomas in this list who doubted Jesus. We, we see Bartholomew, Matthew, that tax collector. We see these guys that, that were just everyday guys, not perfect. But here they were, these shaggy 11 guys. They came in obedience and stationed themselves there to wait to wait for the Spirit to come. Remember, Jesus, before he ascended, was preparing these guys, right? He was teaching them 40 days, right? He taught them. We learned about that. Uh, He taught them the Old Testament scriptures. He taught them about the fulfillment of how Jesus' death and resurrection, they were all fulfillment of of prophecy there. He commissioned them during this time that they are to be his representatives, that they are to to take their torch, carry on the torch, the baton, right? Jesus ascended past the baton. And so in all this time, Jesus was preparing them. And another part of the preparation is now to wait for God to give them the ability. So, in obedience to Jesus, knowing, really, this was the only way, the disciples were faithful to go wait for the empowering to come. The disciples were faithful to go wait for the empowering to come. Maybe you've heard the old saying, good things come to those who wait. But I think for our society, that's hard to do. We're, we live in this instant society, don't we? We're, we're, we're not too good at waiting, right? It's not received so well. I mean, every day we, we, we're, we're constantly, we, can, we have access to information like that. We can look things up, right? We can go shopping on our phones. Uh, uh, we, we, we want it right away. I, you know what I don't like is what, we don't really have TV, but we have Apple TV. And we'll watch um, news through the apps like CBS News or uh, Hawaii Now News and things like that. But you know what I hate? It's the commercials. <laughs> I hate the commercials. Like, like every, every other clip, you know, there's a commercial. It's like, oh, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait here. We're impatient in this society. Maybe, maybe that's why we don't like prayer meetings. Yeah. Maybe we don't like to wait. The disciples were faithful to go and wait, to go back to Jerusalem, to go wait, to wait for the empowering, to patiently wait upon the Lord, to be, do that in obedience, to do His will. I know it's hard when we're suffering or when we're in pain. I was reading how the average wait times in emergency room, emergency room visits are like three to four hours. Some I've talked to even waited longer, like six hours I was talking to someone the other day. It's crazy. It's hard when we're, when, when we're suffering or when we're in pain to wait. But you know what? That's what we have to do. God actually wants us to wait on Him. That's what the disciples are doing. They are faithful to go wait. Wait for the empowering. And, and I believe that's a lesson for us tonight. I believe it's something God wants to speak to us about, to wait on Him. 
Take a moment, turn to the Old Testament, to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And you guys know these verses, but I want you to see them with your own eyes. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Look at verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. I was reading this the other day, and it, it really encouraged my heart. Like, God, thank you that you don't get tired, you don't get weary, and you don't get weary of me. <laughs> then he says in verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Isn't that great to know tonight that he gives power to you who are faint, who are weak, who are weary, and that he increases our strength. And then verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall and uh, exhausted. But they who, look at this, wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In my prayer time, I actually have a time where I, 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 I tell myself to wait upon the Lord. To, to wait before Him. To not rush through things or rush through my prayers, but just to sit before Him. It's so easy to cut our prayer time. It's so easy to cut out prayer with the church because we're so busy, right? We have to get things done. We need this. We need that. Things start rolling in your head and you get distracted. But what happens when we don't really wait upon the Lord and wait for Him to strengthen us? We go out on our own, on our own strength, don't we? We, we go out on our own thinking, our own timing, our own technique, our own methods, and we don't wait upon the Lord to guide us, to wait upon the Lord to strengthen us, to wait upon the Lord for Him to speak to us, for us to get connected to the Lord. So many times I put the cart in front of the horse. I, 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 I'll get ahead of the Lord. You see, the disciples here, they're waiting they're going to be waiting in prayer. And, and when we wait in prayer, it prepares our heart. We don't run ahead right, of God. We, we're, we're not doing things in our own strength. And we have this direct connection to God. This is what it's about. Waiting upon the Lord. I encourage you guys. You know what? Take the time. Next time, tomorrow morning, whenever you do your devotions, stop. And pray and stop and just wait upon the Lord. Remember Sunday I mentioned Mary and Martha and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. That's what we got to do. We got to sit. We got to stop. We got to silence our minds. We got to focus in on God and listen for His voice. Sense His presence. And just wait. Are you waiting on the Lord? You want strength? 
You, you need to wait on the Lord. Are you facing a situation? You need to wait upon the Lord. Wilbur Chapman once asked a missionary, he was a pastor in the late 1800s, he once asked missionary, this missionary, John Hyde was his name. He said, Mr. Hyde, I want you to pray for me. So Hyde came to his room, locked the door, dropped to his knees, and waited on the Lord. Chapman writes, five minutes went by without a single syllable coming from his lips. I could hear my own heart thumping and his beating. Can you imagine that? Hey, can you pray for me? Oh yeah, come, comes into the room, get on your knees, and then nothing said for five minutes. I mean, 30 seconds is a long time, right? Five minutes. Chapman goes on to say, I felt hot tears running down my face. I knew I was with God. Then he looks up, talking about Mr. Hyde, and with tears streaming, he said, Oh, God. Chapman goes on to say, Mr. Hyde was still again waiting on the Lord for another five minutes at least. And then, when Hyde knew that he was talking with God, Chapman writes, There came from the depths of his heart such petitions for me as I had never heard before. I rose from my knees to know what real prayer was. That's prayer. Waiting upon This is the groundwork to God's work. This is what the disciples said. Before the whole baptism of the Spirit, before Peter preached and thousands came to the Lord, before the whole book of Acts unfolds, they go back to Jerusalem and they go wait before the Lord in prayer. And this is number three. They go pray. They go pray. Back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And here's our last verse, verse 14 for this evening. It says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, here in verse 14, we begin, Luke writes, All these. Well, we know the disciples are there. And if you take a peek at verse 15, it says at the end of the verse, all about 120 persons were there. And so we see the disciples and all these. Who's this? Well, let's take a look at that first. At the end of verse 14, it says, with the women. The women, usually it, uh, uh, it speaks of the women who followed Jesus. And we saw the women at the foot of the cross. We saw the women at the tomb when Jesus was buried. We saw the women who came to the tomb on resurrection morning. The women usually are listed as Mary Magdalene, Mary wife of Clopas, Salome, and maybe, I'm guessing, the sisters Mary and Martha. Basically, it's the women who followed Jesus. Well, the disciples are there, the women, and also look at verse 14, Mary, the mother 
of Jesus. She was there too. Isn't this great? See, she needed prayer too. Notice, it doesn't say anything here that, that they prayed to Mary, but Mary prayed with them. They prayed with Mary. Sorry, Catholic friends, but this is actually the last mention of Mary in the Bible. After this, it, it goes on, and it, the focus is really on Jesus Christ. So we have all these, the disciples, the women, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and we have Jesus' brothers, his brothers. Now, Jesus had half-brothers and sisters, half because of his virgin birth, and his uh, siblings were born of Joseph and Mary. So again, Mary's not a, a, a perpetual virgin here. She had children. Matthew 13, 55, 56 tells us those things. Their names of his brothers, the Bible tells us, James, uh, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. James and Jude were actually writers in the New Testament, the book of James and the book of Jude. And what's interesting here is that in the Gospels, we know that the brothers did not believe in Jesus. But after the resurrection, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, James came to believe and probably all the other brothers did too after the resurrections and probably the sisters too. So here we have the disciples, the women, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. And so what were they doing? Well, back to verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. They were praying. This was a prayer meeting going on. There's three things here I want you to see. They prayed in one accord, first of all. They prayed in one accord. You know, the joke is this is the first time a car is mentioned because they prayed in one accord. Yeah, Honda Accord. It must have been a world record to stuff 120 people into a Honda there. But really it's talking about they were united in prayer. They're united together. They're one in waiting, in prayer, in waiting for the Spirit, in obeying the Lord and submitting to them. They're united in prayer in heart and soul. I was thinking about this unity. Peter no longer worried about what will happen to John. Remember, Peter was worried about all that, yeah? Thomas no longer doubted, yeah? He wasn't the doubter. Uh, the, the women weren't thought to be crazy because everyone saw Jesus was resurrected. They were all in one accord in unity. And they knew that there was one thing that was important to do, and that was to pray. It was to pray. And I like to think that as they prayed, as they focused in together on the Lord and cried out to the Lord, that, that, that prayer, the prayer took down the walls took down any differences, brought peace in the sense of their one goal and the one focus, and that's to cry out to the Lord. So we see in verse 14, they prayed in one accord. Secondly, they were devoting themselves to pray. They were devoting themselves to pray. The, the word here, devoting, it means to tarry. It means to remain. It means to be steadfast and 
persevere. Like they kept at it. They didn't give up. One commentator said at the end of Luke, how it, you know how uh, Luke said at the end they went, the disciples were, were rejoicing and praising God in the temple. So one commentary said they weren't like always locked up in, in this room here these days before the Spirit came. But when they were uh, together, they were praying. And they didn't stop praying. They were devoted to come back. Uh, I'm sure they ate and everything and slept, but they would come back and have prayer meeting, this prayer meeting. Think about this. This group didn't know how long to wait in prayer. Yeah? They didn't pray for a couple of days and said, oh, forget it. It's not happening. No, they persevered. They, they tarried. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves over to keep praying and keep praying and keep coming back to the prayer meeting, to pray without ceasing, to passionately cry out to God. It is said of the pioneer missionary Hudson Taylor, for 40 years the sun never rose on China that God didn't find him on his knees. Isn't that great? I mean, God sent him to China, and every morning, what do you do? He prayed. He kept going back to prayer. He kept going to pray. He devoted himself to pray. So they prayed in one accord. They were devoting themselves to pray. And the third thing we see is they gathered together to pray. They were, they, they were praying together. They, they, they didn't just, uh, I'll, I'll stay in my house. I'll stay in Galilee. They're obedient to go back. They're obedient to wait. And now they're obedient to pray. And they're praying together. There's something about that, of us praying together. There's a dynamic there with the Holy Spirit moving and, and you hearing uh, other person's prayer. It, it always inspires me. I, and I, I'll hear the Spirit and it'll prompt me to pray something else through the Spirit. There's something about praying together. Of course, we've got to pray alone every day, but there's something about coming together and praying together as a body. And you know what? Prayer, uh, praying together, what we see here, it plays a big role in the church in the book of Acts. We'll see in the, the, the next section, here's some things that they prayed for together. In this next section, they prayed for a replacement for Ju Judas, who was out of the picture. We're, we're, we'll get to that next time. They prayed together for courage in Acts 4 from persecution. They prayed together for, if, remember, for Peter to be released in Acts chapter 12. At a prayer meeting, they were praying together. That's when Lydia got saved in Acts 16. In a prayer meeting, open prison doors in Acts 16 also. So you see how important it is to pray together. You see how important prayer is in God's work. Here's what I want you to see, and this is the last point. The disciples and the others were deeply devoted to go pray for the work of God. The disciples and the others were deeply devoted to go pray for the work of God. Of God. We got to do the same. We got to go pray 
We need to have it in our hearts to go pray. We need to hear God calling us, the command. We need to hear what's happening at this moment, where we're at, at the beginning of the book of Acts, before we study everything else that's going to go on. We need to take this in. We need to be devoted to go pray also. Warren Wiersbe wrote, This is certainly a good lesson for the church today. Prayer is both the thermometer and the thermostat of the local church. For the spiritual temperature either goes up or down depending on how God's people pray. That's pretty heavy. It's, it's, it's pretty serious here. Listen, God is calling you and I to prayer and to gather together to pray. Have you been neglecting your prayer? Have you been neglecting prayer meetings? What, what's your thermometer? What would it say? Cold? Not alive? It's pretty heavy what Warren Wiersbe wrote. You know, so many times we can complain about the church and say, it's not like the church in Acts. But perhaps it's because you're not joining in on prayer like the book of Acts. Perhaps the lack in the church is because of your own lack. Could it be? We need each other here. We need to come together and pray. God was preparing their lives for the power of the Spirit. This is what God does before he does a great work. And, and you know, I, I want to be part of that work. I want to be prepared. And I want to do this together. So I, I appeal to you guys, let's, let's pray together more. Let's come together on Saturday to pray. Let's, we're going we're gonna to be praying tonight. Before we uh, sing our last worship song, we're going to take some time and pray as a body, as people here, right, right here. God was preparing their lives for the power of the Spirit. And that's what God does before uh, when he's about to do a great work. He moves the hearts of people to pray. And when he moves their heart, they obey and they pray. Let me close with this. I read about the spiritual awakening in 1949 in Barvas, a, a, a village uh, called Barvas on an island off the northwest coast of Scotland. The pastor and evangelist Duncan Campbell led this revival, this outpouring of the Spirit. But what many people don't know, what paved the way, what was behind the scenes, was two elderly sisters, Peggy Smith, 84 years old and blind, and Christine Smith, 82 years and doubled over with arthritis. They both committed to pray. God moved their hearts. They obeyed and they prayed for months for God to send a revival to Barbas. They were relentless intercessors and they call upon the Lord. And, and you know what their theme scripture was? Isaiah 44, 3, which says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And they prayed that prayer for their village, Barbas. It wasn't just them. 
across town, across the village, independent of these two sisters praying, seven young men were led to come together to pray. You know what? Three nights a week in a barn to pray for spiritual awakening. They use Isaiah 62, 6 or 7 kind of as their theme, and, and, and they prayed out of that. Basically, they, they committed to not stop praying until their prayers were answered. That was the preparation and groundwork to the revival in 1949. I'm ashamed to say we need a spiritual awakening here in our church. I need a spiritual awakening. People have been lured to sleep, lured to sleep, not fully living for Jesus. Why don't we pray more? Why don't why doesn't why don't we come together? I think because we're we're still living for ourselves. There's still not a concern for the loss of our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's more concern about what's convenient for me. There's no devotion. There's no putting everything aside to go to God, to obey what He's calling us to do. There's no burden to see God work in a mighty way. In the end, you're not really devoted to Jesus, sorry to say. And when we're not devoted to Jesus, we're not devoted to So let's heed the call. Let's get together. Let's pray. Let's pray more. Let's grab the hands of, of, of people near us and pray more. Let, uh, when you're visiting someone, pray more. When you come to church, after church, pray more. Grab someone, pray. Let's be one in this. Let's have one heart. Let's have one mind. Let's cry together to the Lord as one. Do you want to see a great work of God in your life? you want to see a great work of God in your family? you want to see a great work of God in this church? Well, it starts here. Go back, go away, and go pray. This is the groundwork to God's work. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you right now. And God, I, I pray, Lord, that you have been speaking to all of us. God, I don't think there's one person in this world that says, yeah, I got it, Dama. I, I pray, you know. I don't think anyone could say, say that. Lord, we want to pray more. It is our desire. We hear the call, God. We hear your cry. Lord, you're reaching down and you're moving our hearts right now to pray. And Lord, may we do that. May, may this passage not just Go through our minds and kind of be forgotten in the back there. But may it be forefront. Lord, we want to do your will. We want to submit to your will. And we want to obey and do it. Lord, we see the world and the mess we're in. We see where we're heading. We know it. it is the end times right now, God. And if there's ever a time to pray, it is right now to pray to pray for the lost, to pray for our loved ones, to pray for those struggling in you, to pray for those that 
that are, that have wandered away from you to pray and cry out to you, God, that you would do an incredible work in bringing us, God, to you in repentance and faith, to find forgiveness and freedom, to cultivate a close relationship with you. God, this is the time to pray. God, we want to put in the groundwork, God. We want to put in the effort. So, Lord, pray that you would help us right now. In Jesus' name.